All right, really, thank you. Last week we had the introduction to to experiencing God. And so tonight we're going to go and just review session one. And uh, you're going to have to help a lot. You're going to have to help me a lot as we, as we go through tonight because a lot of this is, uh, is interactive between uh, group members. And so I'm excited about uh, uh, the number we have in our group. Um, we'll have, um, I guess, close to about uh, 73 books that have been given out, people requesting the book. Some of you may have gotten one tonight, but don't be dismayed about that. It's real easy to catch up. And so uh, you're, you're close enough now to where you won't have a problem making up the last five days of last week and as we look forward to this week. So uh, you'll do good. You'll do real good. And so tonight I just uh, want to say thank you for being here and have a little PowerPoint that we're going to go over and then we're going to we'll have a, a, a brief video that we'll end the session with tonight. Then we'll get ready for uh, for next week in regards to our study. So if you'll look at the screens, let me see if I can... Okay, sorry. We'll talk perhaps about any questions you've had uh, in, in the lessons last week, or, or, and we'll go, we'll go over this, but even uh, we'll look at our memory verse in just a few minutes, and then we'll get ready for this coming week. This coming week session is looking to God, and so it's going to be a very, it's going to be, it's going to be good. I've spoken to some of you and asked you about what you thought about the, uh, the study uh, last week, and it was all positive comments and how you felt like God was using it in your life, and so I know it's going, we're going to have a good time going through this. Let's look at this just a moment. First topic last week, uh, in your session, in less, session one, was Jesus is your way. And this is really important. The heart of eternal life and the heart of study is for you to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Knowing God does not come through a program or a method. If you remember, it's a relationship between uh, the person Jesus Christ, you and the person Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to nail down before you go through go through experiencing God is you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm assuming everybody here tonight has that relationship, as far as I know. But if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, but this is really not going to be meaningful to you at all. Uh, you'll, you'll need to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. A relationship with, to Jesus Christ is your beginning point, so keep that in mind. So there again, I'm assuming everyone here has, has a... Uh, and I hate to assume that, but if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you'll have an opportunity to do that tonight before you leave. If you've not made this important decision in your life, the course will have no meaning to you. And I just mentioned that. And so uh, I'm sure perhaps that all of us could stand and share a testimony when, uh, where we were, when we asked Christ to come into our life and save us. Uh, if you would, turn to page 8 in your book. Let's look at that. Just meant turn back uh, to page 8. And um, we're going to look at some, some information that you dealt with last week. Um, 
we're going to review the Roman road. And, and this is, a, this is a, a good presentation of the gospel. And so it would be good maybe to print this in the back of your Bible if you've not, uh, if you've not marked, your, marked your Bible. And uh, we did uh, in Fresh Encounter. We marked our Bible and how to share the Roman road. But um, uh, look, if you would, at uh, number one in the little red circle there, um, ask God to speak to you as you read the following scriptures. And this is as you began on first day because it's important that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the Roman road is a good uh, example of how to share the gospel. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, eternal life is a free gift of God. Romans 5, 8, confess and repent of your sins against the holy God. It says God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, verse 8. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, confess Jesus as Lord and believe that, that God raised him from the dead. Romans 10, verse 9, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then Romans 10, 13, ask God to save you, and he will. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so uh, that's a good presentation of the gospel. Write that in the back of your Bible. If you need to share the gospel with someone, a little New Testament, pull that out and share uh, the Roman road. And so... Uh, just wanted to call that to your attention. The goal is not to finish the course, but to have a transforming encounter with God. And when we come to the Lord Jesus to seek his will for our lives, we'll normally ask, Lord, what do you want me to do, and where do you want me to go? Have you ever done that? Am I the only one that says, Lord, what do you want me to do about this, or where do you want me to go? Just tell me your will for my life, and, and uh, then I'll go from there. It's usually the way we try uh, seek to find God's will for our life. We tend to ask God for a detailed road map. We don't need a map. We just need to follow God, what, one day at a time. I mentioned that this morning. If you're in God's will today and in God's will tomorrow and in God's will Monday through Saturday and next Sunday, then you're in God's will. It's one day at a time. If you remember studying about Moses... Did Moses get all the information at one time? He sure didn't. He just got bits and pieces, but he was willing to step out in faith just one day at a time, one event at a time, and do what God asked him to do. And so he was in God's will. And so that's, that's what we need to understand, uh, is that um, uh, this is not, God showed me the whole thing, and I'll, uh, I'll, go, I'll go to work. No, it's just, God, what's your will today? Where are you working today? Where I can join you today? Be a part of what you're doing today. And you do that, you're going to be in God's will. And the point is to do that, is to do that every day. Um, let me see. Let's think of just a moment about that memory verse, John 15, 5. John 15, 5. Okay, everybody got that nailed down? Yeah. Everybody got it nailed down? All right. John 15, 5. 
uh, why don't we do this? Tanil, would you just pair off over here with Karina just for a moment? Would you sit with Karina just for a moment? What I'd like for you to do, that person next to you or around you, I'd like for, for you to just attempt, if you haven't already, just attempt to say that verse. Get as far as long as you can with it. John 15, 5, whatever translation you're using. Mine was the King James where I learned that. Um, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so let's just share back and forth and just uh, help each other learn that first. And we'll put you and Karina together. And uh, if you're, Miss Joy, if you can scoot in close to somebody, just practice this first for just about five minutes. About five minutes, and then we'll go on. Okay, we'll go ahead and go on. See, that's real simple, that y'all helped each other. If you were quote, quoting uh, John 3, 16, that's the wrong verse. <laughs> so we'll move on from John 6, 3, 16 and get something else. But anyway, just remember, when we were taking Master Life in, in 1982, Master Life, we had, I don't know how many verses we had, but they had, they had a cassette tape. Does anybody remember... Rachel's not here. Does anybody remember those Master Life songs that we learned all the memory verse? Anybody here that took Master Life? 
Okay, we had just a, a cassette tape. And every scripture verse had, a, it was a song to the scripture verse. And I remembered John 15, 5 by those scripture songs. And so you're going to get to hear me sing a solo. Here's how that went. And our choir, by the way, our choir would come out on Sunday morning and they'd sing that verse. Every Sunday morning they'd come out and they'd sing whatever verse we memorized. It goes like this. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I, was, I learned all my verses that way. And, and that'll stick in your head. So you'll know John 15, 5 pretty well after tonight. It's just a little tune. And so there's different ways. You have some memory cards in the back of your book. Uh, put those those around the house, on the mirror, around the sink where you shave, wherever, guys, and pull it out and just go over it. They're not that hard. And so, anyway, uh, that's one way, by singing them, uh, by, by using those memory cards, and by helping each other. And so there's a reason for John 15, 5. Shattered memory card. Yeah. Shattered memory card tacked to her machine and sewing factory. Yeah, just some place where you can look at. And listen, that's also renewing your mind. You know, the Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by renewing your mind. And the way you renew your mind is that you put God's Word in your mind. And when you have that stinking thinking stuff going on, then you take a you take a verse that you've memorized and you take that out of your mind. So if I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, well, you're going you're gonna to think of a pink elephant. The more you try not to think about something, the more you're going to think about it. And so what you do, you renew your mind by putting God's Word in your mind. And so when you have those bad thoughts coming from time to time, devil tempts you with certain things, just renew your mind with a memory verse. And uh, we're not too old to do that. We kind of remember what we want to remember. Okay, so you've done real good with the verses. Look on page 13. Now help me out with this, because this is, uh, you speak up, and we'll go through this real quick and get to something else. It says down at the bottom of the page on 13, 16, page 20 and 24 and 28, you had a review. Today's review. What was the most meaningful statement of Scripture that you read that first day? Anybody? You write down any, not, it's not a wrong answer. Jesus what? Jesus guides from one day at a time. That's good. Thank you, Carolyn. Reword that statement of Scripture into a prayer to respond to God. How would you do that, Carolyn? How would you do that? That's great. That's good. Real simple. What does God want you to do in response to today's study? So, in, in chapter, in day one, Jesus is your way. What do you think God wants you to do? No wrong answers. Anybody? Trust Him. Trust Him. If 
he's going to guide you, you got to trust him. Do what, Terry? Don't get ahead of him. Man, that's great. Don't get ahead of him. Sometimes we don't think Jesus moves quick enough or up to speed, and so we kind of get ahead of him. And usually when I do that, I, I mess up. And so look, if you will, on page 16. Let's go to another one. Somebody, somebody get ready. Page, uh, page 16. Oh, page 16. What was the most meaningful on page 16 statement of Scripture you, you read today? God's always at work. Okay, that's right. That's good. Anybody else? Your favorite. Do what, bud? Arise and follow me. You know, I got thinking about that. And Canaan was at the house. I got up the other morning real early, about 5.30, and got the old Broadman hymnal down. We got to start singing some of these old hymns, y'all. I mean, new hymns and praise songs are great, and I'm not opposed to any of that. But you remember that song, Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere. I will follow on. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I will follow on. That's what it's about. And, we, and those songs are scripture-related. And so when, when you're singing a hymn... You can look at the top up there, and it has a scripture that that song is based on. That's why hymns are so important. They're scriptural songs. Now, we have some songs. I remember uh, the, the Red Book we used to have. We sang out of them every Wednesday night. To give you a contrast, there was a song in there called The Royal Telephone. Y'all remember The Royal Telephone? Central's never busy, always on the line. No telephones in heaven, okay? And you can get the message there, but the old hymns, the hymns, is where the scripture is, is truly used. And so that's good. Follow me, reword that statement, our scripture, into a prayer. How'd we do that? How'd we do that? How'd you relate it to a prayer? Thy will, not mine. Thy will, not mine. Great job. Thy will, not mine. I put, God, I'll do my best to follow you. All right, number three, what does God want you to do to, in response to today's study? I put, look where God's working. Try to, try to see where he's working today. Somebody come up to you and ask you something. Be, be prepared for people asking questions and, and seeing if God perhaps is, is working there. Look, if you will, at page, uh, page 20, this lesson. Well, all right. What was the most meaningful statement in this lesson? Anybody? Uh, tell me again. Okay. So he gave two characteristics of a cup. You remember he taught the lesson on the potter and the potter molding the cup. And there was two characteristics of the cup. You had to be moldable and you had to remain in the master's hand for him to use. For him to use. Let him mold you, then let him use you. Okay? All right, let's go, Kim, while you're on there. Reword that statement into a prayer. What would you put? 
Yeah. You remember the song? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. For I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way. And so, great prayer. Great prayer. Based on Scripture and us having the characteristics of the, of the cup being moldable and then allowing the Master to use us. Okay? What's the hardest part of those two? Well, both are pretty equal, important. You, you've got to be molded and for him. You can't use a filthy vessel. Remember that parable. So we've got to be moldable or we can't be used. And then after he molds us, we have to allow him to use us. We're in, we're in his hands. Okay? Look on page 24. 24. All right, what scripture? Most meaningful statement or scripture? Oh, what'd, you, what'd somebody put? Anybody? All right, Kyle, I can't hear. Wow, that's good. The Lord does nothing without revealing it to us. What's next? Okay. All right. He doesn't do anything unless he reveals it to his people. And what was the last? Amen. Amen. Here's one I put. The most meaningful statement was... You can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Moses had to make a decision. God was at work. He wanted Moses to help him. And in order to mo for Moses to be used, he, had to, he couldn't stay where he was and be used of God at the same time. He had to be willing to make some adjustments and find out what God wanted him to do and make those adjustments in his life. We won't talk about that in any minute. But in a moment, but then my, my statement, my prayer, was God, I'm willing to go uh, where you want me to go. And what does God want you to do in response to today's study? Look where he's working and what he's doing and prepared to go with God. And so, you know, and I've mentioned from time to time, if you pray and sincere in your prayer, Lord, put someone in my path for me to witness to today. He's going to do that. He'll do that. If you're sincere, he's going to do that. But find out where he's working and then join him uh, in that task. All right, one more. Let's look at page 28. Another study. God's standards are different from ours. That was a great study. What was the most meaningful statement that you read in that study? Anybody? Okay. Say that again, Angela. I'm sorry. All right. How'd you put that in a prayer? Being different. That's great. See, I hear voices and I've got to locate you first, you know, and that's why I'm a little slow. 
I've got some notes throughout this study. Um, let me turn back here. I'm sure you wrote the margin of your book too. Just on, uh, just on that last study uh, about being servants, on Moses up there in reality, this is on page 25. It says, God's invitation for Moses to work with him led to a crisis of belief, faith, and action. I, I just wrote down, God speaks, then what? What happens after God speaks? What happened with Moses after God spoke? That's where all the excuses started coming in. Oh, I can't do that. You know, I can't speak that well. What are they going to say when I tell them? Maybe they're going to ask me who sent me. I don't know who to tell them. Who sent me. All these excuses. That's, that's what happens. Usually God says, I want you to do this. No, I'm not trained to do that. I just, you know, get someone else. You know, all those things start. Number seven, Moses came to know God by experience as he obeyed God, and God accomplished his work through Moses. I put a little note. When Moses obeyed God, he and the people of God experienced God as their deliverer. They didn't until they, Moses obeyed God. So, yes. No. See. Anything God asks you to do, He will make sure you're qualified to do it. He's not going to choose a failure. He's, he's, he's going to qualify you to do the task. If, you haven't, if you're not already qualified, He'll make sure you're able to do what He asks you to do. He's, not going to do any, he's never going to ask you to do something that you can't do. You or me either. Okay? Uh, okay, let me see. Moses obeyed God. God used Moses. Okay. All right, let me, let me stop here just a moment. Now, we're, we're talking about... Where'd we get to on this up here? Forgot that. If you do everything Jesus tells you one day at a time, you're going to always be in the center of God's will. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. Now, explain this. What is God's will for my life is not the right question. What's God's will for my life? That's not the right question. What's the right question? What is God's will? What's God's will? Okay? Don't, don't broaden uh, the, the statement. What's the proper question we should ask in regards to knowing God's will? Turn to page 16. Read the summary. Let's look at that just a minute, because that's about Jesus. Page 16 in your book. Jesus' example, right top of the page. The Father has been working right up until now. Now the Father has made me working. I do nothing on my own initiative. I watch to see where the fa what the Father's doing. The Father loves me. He shows me everything He's doing. And I do what I see the Father doing. So on the left side there, watch to see where God is working and join Him. God is always, number four, God is always working around me. Okay? And you'll see that the more that we, that we go through our study. Um, let me see right here. 
What are two things that a servant must do to be used to God? We talked about that, Kim. Got to be moldable. Got to be used. The clay's to be molded. It has to be responsive to the potter so he can fan, uh, so he so he can, excuse me, make it into an instrument of his choosing. Okay. The servant has to remain in the potter's hand when the potter's finished making the instrument. It has no ability to do what it wants. It must remain in the potter's hand to be effective. The cup has to remain in the potter's hand to, so that he can be used, or he can use that cup. What's the correct concept of a servant? You don't get orders from God and then go out to do them, but you relate to God, respond to Him, so that He can do whatever He wants to do through you. You will say, hey God, what do you want me to do? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to work. Find out what he's doing, yield yourself to him, and he'll explain to you what you need to be doing. Why is it important for a servant not just to do something, but stand there? You've always heard that. Don't just stand there and do something, but God says what? Don't just do something, stand there. So why is that important? Anybody? Do what? Yeah, get direction. And something else, too. You don't want to miss what? The relationship. Remember that? You don't want to miss the relationship with God. You, you want to be able to talk to God, listen to God throughout the day. You just don't want to be going out on your own, doing this, doing that, just staying busy. I'm busy for God type thing. But you, you take care of the relationship. And if you, if you don't wait on God, you'll miss the relationship. Uh, let me see what I was going to say on page, I think I just said it, page 19. God is crying to us, don't just do something, stand there, enter a love relationship with me, get to know me, adjust your life to me, uh, let me love you and reveal myself through you to a watching world. A time will come when doing will be called for, but we can't skip the relationship. The relationship with God must come first. And so we, we just don't get in a hurry. Don't just run, do something, but stand there and, and wait on God. We practice John 15, 5. What can you do without God? Nothing. What can you do with God? Anything, everything. If he's in it, we're good, okay? We're good. I'm going to ask Shane to come up and kindly give you, he's going to share a little testimony, uh, something that happened to him the other night. Um, I guess uh, at the ball game, parking cars are taking up parking money. Can come on up just a minute and share. And, and what we're focusing on is God working around us, being led by God wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And he shared this uh, after the ball game the other night. I'll let him share it. on the spur of the moment, because I was asked about five minutes before everything was going. And if you know me, I, I like to prepare. It, it takes me a week or so to prepare for my Sunday school lesson. So I'm uh, five minutes to prepare for this. So I'm, this was happening about, Corey and I took over the youth a couple of weeks ago, and um, it was her turn to kind of we take turns going over Wednesdays and Sundays, and it was her turn as far as a Wednesday night lesson. And um, that Wednesday night lesson was, we need to minister to the homebound. 
So we sent letters to all our homebound saying, hey, we're, we're praying for you. Uh, if there's anything that we can do, uh, let us know. Um, and this was about two weeks ago. And it, after, after we mailed the letters, I, I didn't think anything about it. So Friday, I get a text from Coach Barnwell's wife. And the text said, hey, we don't have enough um, people to take up money uh, for parking. Would you be interested? I was like, I don't know. It's Friday night. I want to go to the game. I don't know. So I said, okay, I'll do it. I said, what time do you want me to be there? She said, 545. You're over there by the, by the gym. Take up money for parking. So I was over there, and it was about 615, 630. This guy, never seen before, uh, was walking in front of the gym, coming toward me. And um, as he passed me, I said, hey, how you doing? And, and just very polite, and he was polite. And he walked past me, and he went up to uh, the Texaco. Um, so probably about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later, uh, he came back. Well, it, when, he, um, when he first came, I was, I was pretty busy with, with, with cars coming in and stuff like that. When he came back, it was about 6.45, and it was kind of died down. I didn't have any cars coming through to take up money. And we sit there, or we stood there, and, and uh, we started talking. And um, he said, what's your name? I said, my name's Shane Clay. I coach and teach here at Phil Campbell. Uh, my wife's from here. This is where we met. I went to school, played baseball at Northwest. I said, well, what's your name? And he gave me his name. He said, I've been living here about, about 10 years or so. He said, I came down to take care of my dad. Uh, so we just continued talking uh, for probably about, I don't know, about five or 10 more minutes. And um, about the usual, hey, we need restaurants here and just all the buildings and stuff like that. So probably about five minutes or 10 minutes in the conversation, I said, um, well, when you attend church, where do you go? And he said, I don't, I don't go. And I said, oh, here's the opportunity right here. And I said, and this was Friday, I said, Sunday, why don't you be my guest? He said, where do you go to church at? I said, Mountain View Baptist Church. It's right across the tracks. He said, yeah, I've been there one time. I said, okay. Well, Sunday, why don't you be my guest? And I gave him the times. I said, hey, it's, we've got a lot of good stuff going on over there. And um, this was Friday. So this morning, I was out there in security. I came down a little bit later uh, from, from the youth turning out of the lights and everything. And I get a text from Corey. She said, guess who's here? And that person and his wife showed up. And our Sunday school lesson was 
out of first or John chapter one, verse forty through forty-nine, and verse forty-six kind of stood out. It says, "Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Nathaniel asked him, and Philip answered, "Come and see." And we were going over with the youth this morning as far as we've got two responsibilities. Uh, simply messengers to invite people to encounter Jesus for themselves. Well, that Friday night, that was sort of looking back, I was inviting him over here to come and see what Jesus has done for us and to see Jesus for himself. Long story short, after our service this morning, his wife was one of the people that we sent our letters to for the homebound. And you can see how everything is tying together. If we wouldn't have sent that homebound letter to her, would they be here? If I wouldn't have said yes to taking up money for parking, would they be right here in this pew? And he got to hear, he got to hear the gospel. And from, from what I understood that she is saved, but he is not. So you can see how everything kind of ties in together as far as us sharing the letters, as far as me being in the right place at the right time, and just inviting him to come and see Jesus for himself. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool as far as um, how it kind of arranged and stuff like that. All God's people said, amen. See how it works? And Corey was visiting with his wife afterwards. And what did she say about the letter? So... Corey said, after he'd met Shane, he came back to the house, brought in the letter that was addressed from our youth to her, and she opened the letter, and he'd met Shane, and he'd been invited to the church that she'd received the letter from. You can just see God working in all of that. So that's what I'm saying. Look to where he's working and think about the person walking toward me this may be an opportunity. God may be working in their life. And take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. If you would, uh, watch this video, and then we'll close out with a song. This goes along with session one, okay?
I'm Richard Blackaby, and this is my oldest son, Mike. We want to welcome you to Experiencing God. Some of you may be familiar with the original Experiencing God video that was done by my father, Henry. My father wrote Experiencing God and told the, the story of his journey with God and how God used him in amazing ways. And then a number of years later, my father and I did the next Experiencing God video together. And now my father's oldest grandson and my oldest son are going to be walking with you through this video together. I've had the opportunity to travel in six different continents and every country I've been in, I have people come up to me and tell me about how their life was transformed as God led them through experiencing God. And so we wanna welcome you to this study and we expect that uh, God is going to have some amazing things that he wants to reveal to you as well as you go through this course. There's a lot of issues that come up in experiencing God. And one of the ones probably most asked is, does God have a will for my life? Yeah, a lot of people want to know uh, if God has a will, uh, how personal and specific is that for me? And if he doesn't have a will, does that just mean that I can uh, just go and essentially live my life how I want as long as I stay true to uh, the commands I see in Scripture? Yeah, some people would just say, well, God just wants you to just use your head and don't break any commandments. But of course, that's not what we find in the Bible. In the Bible, God is often giving people very specific directions, and the Bible is the only guide we have to know how to live our Christian life as well. Yeah, people wanna know, if God has a specific will for my life, how specific is that? Do I need to pray every morning to ask God what kind of socks I'm gonna wear or what to have for breakfast? Uh, or uh, is it more in line with, with something else? Throughout the Bible, God is speaking to people but it's always for his purposes. It's to invite people into his work. It's not to guide them so they know which entree to order at the restaurant. But sometimes God speaks very specifically about what would seem like an ordinary thing. And Mike, I was thinking about Rob at our old church and how God spoke to him literally about which grocery store to go to. Yeah, if I remember the story correctly, he was uh, sitting at home with his wife and they didn't normally go to the store uh, at this time. And then uh, for whatever reason, they both at the same time decided, let's go to the grocery store. But they don't go to the one that they normally go to. They go to a different store. And while uh, Rob's wife is down one aisle, uh, he feels led to go down this other aisle, sees a man standing there looking fairly distraught and uh, decides to walk up to him and, uh, and check on the guy and ask how he's doing and finds out that the guy was actually uh, in a pretty rough place. Yeah, as I recall, his wife had left him that very day and left his their four-year-old son as well. And so this man is so distraught. He's from Africa. He's a foreigner to that country. He just found himself in a bewildered state going to a grocery store and just standing, staring aimlessly at uh, the food in front of him. And all of a sudden, this Christian man comes up, never shops at that store, would never normally be down that aisle. And he's coming up and saying, are you okay? Well, he ends up sharing Christ with him, becomes involved in the church. And you look back later and realize, did it matter which grocery store he went to? Well, it did on that occasion. And sometimes, you know, we find some people that get just almost immobilized by, well, should I do this or should I do that? Should I wear this? Should I wear that? And oftentimes it can get very self-centered. It's just all about, well, what, what about me instead of what God is doing? But uh, I remember a story of a man that literally was going on a business trip one day and just went into his uh, closet, was pulling out his suit jacket, his shirt, 
And then he goes to get a tie, and normally he would wear his power tie for that particular kind of trip, but he notices his alumni tie from his college where he went to school, and for some reason, he never wore that tie, that was just something you get when you're an alumni, but he decides to wear it that day, puts it on, goes on his trip, and while he's at the airport in a lounge, a total stranger comes up to him and says, hey, did you go to that school? He says, yeah. And he gets into a conversation and this man's life is falling apart. He's not a Christian. And uh, he's got a very terrible week that he's been going through. And this man, because he wears his alumni tie, ends up sharing Christ with someone. On that day, it actually mattered what tie he was wearing. Any other day, it wouldn't have mattered. But that day it did. So sometimes you see it's just the ordinary times of life going uh, going through your regular routine, uh, but being open and listening and aware of the voice of God. Yeah, and God doesn't necessarily speak in every moment, but you've got to be in such a relationship with God that when it does matter, when God is at work around you and he wants you to be involved, you've got to be sure you catch that voice. It makes me think of uh, John chapter 10, where Jesus says, uh, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize my voice. and think today why it can become so difficult is there's so much noise, there's so much distraction, uh, we're, we're constantly being bombarded with so many different voices that if we don't uh, know how to recognize the voice of God, uh, we'll go through our entire day and maybe God would like to say something to us, but uh, but we're just not uh, ready for it. We're not paying attention, we're, uh, we don't know how to hear it, and so it gets drowned out with all the uh, the rest of the noise in our lives. And in the day in which we live, if there was ever a time God's people need to recognize God's voice and to be on mission with Him, it's now. And so as you go through this study, our prayer for you is that you'll grow closer to God than you've ever been. You'll recognize His voice to a degree you never have before. And by the end of this course, you'll find yourself being swept up into the eternal purposes of Almighty God. Welcome to session one of Experiencing God. Over the next 12 sessions, we're gonna be walking through on a journey to know how you can experience God in your life, your church, your family, and your workplace. I'm the oldest son of Henry Blackaby, and I got the privilege of having a front row seat and watching my father, the original author of Experiencing God, uh, walk with God and learn how everyone can experience God and know His will. I'll never forget when I was almost nine years old, we had a family meeting. My dad was a pastor in the Los Angeles area. He'd come to a church and uh, that church had been quite divided and broken and hurting, but uh, God had blessed my father's ministry and turned things around and brought healing and unity. The church was excited and growing. And I remember as a young boy watching God doing amazing things in that church. My father and my mother had four boys and were expecting their first daughter. And, uh, and it looked like we were destined to have a great life as pastor's kids growing in a, in a growing, vibrant church. One day my father and my mother sat us down and we had a family meeting. And my father told us about a church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Of course, as a nine-year-old growing up in Los Angeles, I had no idea where that was. But my father explained that it was a, a, a town on the prairies of Western Canada. And there was a tiny little church that had dwindled down to just 10 people. And they were ready to disband. They'd lost all hope. They actually had a for sale sign out front of their building 
to try to sell the property and give up on their church. But they'd heard about my father, who was a Canadian, and they thought maybe he would be willing to leave his great church and come to a church of 10 people in a rundown, broken down building. My father, I'll never forget as he shared and said, this church is gonna die if our family doesn't leave where we are and join God and what he's trying to do there in Canada. I was only eight years old, but uh, I, I knew that um, we had to go. And so we did, and we moved to Saskatoon. I'll never forget when we first pulled up in front of that building, uh, it was a broken down building. There was a big uh, scar, kind of broken crack down the side of the stucco. There was an overhang little roof over the front door, and it had sagged so much that you couldn't open the front door all the way without it scraping against the sagging roof. And so it was hard for people to get even, the, even get into the building. And every springtime, when the snow would melt, all the runoff water would seep into the basement. And the basement was where all the kids had Sunday school, which at that time was just me and my brothers. But uh, I remember my dad uh, on Sunday mornings bringing me to church early, giving me a, a mop and a pail and instructing me to mop all the water up off the floor so that we could have Sunday school there. And I remember we'd put the, the table right in the middle of the room and, and my brothers and I would circle around the table with our teacher. And as he taught, we could see the water beginning to seep back into the middle of the room. And when the water finally got to our feet, Sunday school was over and we went upstairs to have church and worship. That was the church that my father uh, went to and left his great church where he was. I have to tell you, I grew up hearing people say that my father was crazy. They would say, Henry, you'd have to be crazy to leave this good church to go to a church of 10 people. You'd have to leave this nice building to go to a building that's broken down and floods every springtime. They would say, you'd have to be crazy. You could stay here and, and pay for your kids to go to college. If you go there, you won't have any kind of money to help your kids get any education and university. And, uh, and yet my father would keep saying, I know it sounds crazy, but God's inviting me to go with him and we have to go. It would be crazy to stay after God has said to go. Well, over the years, if you've heard any of my father's story, uh, we began to start other mission churches. Ultimately, 12 years later, 38 missions had been begun out of my father's missions and the missions of those missions. A Bible college had been begun over a hundred college students felt called into Christian ministry. My father was swept up into an amazing ministry of, of being seen as someone who knew how to walk with God and that God was blessing and guiding and providing for. Eventually, my father wrote the course, Experiencing God, so that he could help other people know how to do the same thing that he had experienced himself. And I uh, remember years later, my father, because of all that God had taught him and done in his life, was invited to the White House, and he was going to be speaking at a meeting where the President of the United States was, where military leaders and political leaders and religious leaders were all gathered in the East Room of the White House. And I was able to be there with all of my siblings and our spouses. And as I watched my father shaking hands with the President of the United States, uh, I, it just dawned on me, all that God had done through the years, it might have seemed crazy at the time, to leave our church where we were to go with God. 
but God had swept my father up into his eternal purposes. My father and my mother traveled to 115 different countries, spoke in the United Nations, spoke at the Pentagon, had been in the White House a couple of times, all because he took that step of faith and went with God. In this course, we wanna to talk to you about what it looks like when Almighty God, the creator of the universe, comes to your life and invites you to leave what you're doing and to join him in what he is doing. The Bible has lots of stories about people, but essentially the Bible is God-centered, not people-centered. It's about what God was doing and how he invited people to join him. In John chapter five, there's an interesting story. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to attend a feast and he goes through the sheep gate and comes up to the pool of Bethesda. And there's all kinds of people who are sick and lame and blind, and they're all gathered around a pool. And tradition said that uh, periodically an angel would come and stir the waters, and whoever got in first would be healed. This is their last chance, their only hope. And so they're futilely just living around that pool of water, hoping they'll be the lucky ones to get in. Apparently there was a man who'd been lame for 38 years, and he was there, his last hope. Clearly he tried every other method to be made well, nothing had worked. And Jesus went to that one man and said something interesting. He said, do you want to be made well? And of course he said, yes, but, but look at all the problems. Look at all the impossibilities. And Jesus healed the man. And, uh, and then the religious leaders, when they saw that, they were offended. He'd done it on the Sabbath. And so they asked him, well, why did you do this? How did you know how to do this? As far as we know, it's the only person he healed that day, even though there's a multitude of people needing healing. And so they asked him, well, how did you do this? Why did, how did you know to do this? And his response is interesting. In verse 17, he says, the father is always at work, and so is the son. The son also is working. And what, what Jesus was saying is, every day when I get up, I'm fully aware that God, my father, is always working around me. And he said, I'm doing the same thing. And then in verse 19, though, Jesus says something quite intriguing. He said, but the Son of Man can do nothing on his own initiative. Now this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. He's sinless. He's perfect. And yet he said, I never come up with my own plans. I never come up with my own agenda and then ask God to bless it. He said, I just look to see where the Father's working. And he goes on to say, the, the Father loves the Son and the Father shows the Son what he's doing uh, so that the Son can join the Father. And that pattern of of walking with God and letting the Father show you where he's at work and you joining him is the way that Jesus lived his life. I'll tell you, too many of us as Christians can be too self-centered. We focus on ourselves, our strengths, our abilities, our goals, our ambitions, our passions. And God says that, that perspective is way too small. Take your eyes off yourself, put them on me, and you'll begin to experience a life so abundant you never could have imagined it. My favorite verse is Ephesians 3.20 that says that Jesus is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. That's what God wants you to experience. Don't settle for ordinary living. Uh, let him sweep you up to a whole nother level. And uh, I remember years ago, I was traveling internationally, speaking in various countries, and I came to uh, a predominantly Muslim country and uh, I was gonna speak at a church on, a, on an evening. And when I got there, 
I was taken up into the auditorium and there was already a worship service going and it was packed out. It was a large auditorium filled to the brim with young people worshiping God. And they were so excited and they were praising God and, they, and the person that was hosting me took me right up to the front so I'd be ready to step up and speak. And I'm looking and, and everyone is worshiping and singing and, and I realized this is a Muslim country. This is not a place where Christianity is very popular or uh, even perhaps uh, encouraged, certainly. And, uh, and I'm thinking, how could, how could there be a church of this size and magnitude, so vibrant, so exciting, so young. And, uh, and I, I, I preached my sermon and afterward I talked to the pastor and I discovered that this pastor had been a professional in a particular field, been very successful uh, and had a great life ahead of him. But he had found Christ or maybe better Christ had found him. And his life had been radically transformed as well as his wife. And he began to go through the study of experiencing God. And as he went through experiencing God, he realized his life, his focus needed to be off of himself and turn to God. And when he did, he sensed God telling him to leave his lucrative career and become a pastor to start a church. And so he had found one other Christian woman to join him and his wife, and the three of them together planted a church. The first thing they did was study experiencing God. And uh, then he just looked and held out his hands to the, to the thousand plus people there in the room with us that night. And he said, this is the result. And I looked at that and I had shivers come down my spine as I realized one person turning their eyes toward God and saying, God, what are you doing around me? Could have such enormous implications. Let me just encourage you, if you want to experience all that God has for you, would you take your eyes off of yourself, all of your plans, all of your purposes and passions and look to God and say, God, what are you doing around me? and you'll be swept up into the eternal purposes of God. I've always felt like there needs to be a warning label put on the cover of Experiencing God. Warning, if you take this course, you may indeed experience God. And if you do, your life will never be the same again. It does have a warning label on there, but uh, we just received that warning from him. And I know God's going to use this in your life, my life, if we, uh, if we pray and ask God to, to uh, use us and use this material where we can have a closer walk with Him and experience Him on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I know God's going to, um, He's going to answer that prayer. You know, you look around and see where God's working, and that's your invitation, my invitation for us to join Him. And let's just say, I don't know how many is here tonight. I don't know, we bought 70, our church bought 75 books. If you heard, if you were a member of Mountain View Baptist Church, and you just heard that there's 50 people that's going through uh, experiencing God, knowing and doing God's will, and they're learning how to discover where God's working and that's an invitation for, for them to join him in his work. And you just hear there's 50 people in that group. There's 50 people. There's 50 people. You think God's working in this group? I mean, you really believe? This is the first time that I've ever offered any type of study for 50 people at one time. But I felt really led to do that. And I have to downsize so much to do it. 
But 50 people? 50? You think God's working in the lives of 50 people? If that be the case, you would think everybody would want to join God in that. You did. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do with 50 people who are studying how to experience God on a day-to-day basis and join Him in what He's doing. Think what it's going to do for our lives, but think what it's going to do for His church and other people. So I'm excited. Tonight we're going to close with a song. I referred to it a few minutes ago. I've asked Kyle if he would play it. We're going to dim the lights and close with this. You may be here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. But you can experience him in a very personal way. You know, Christianity is not a religion. Remember, it's a relationship between you and a person. And if you don't have that relationship right now, you can have it before you leave. And so if you would, during this song, if you would just come forward and say, Brother Sammy, I want to I know how to have that relationship with him. I'll share with you when everybody leaves. We'll just spend some time together. Any other decision you have, uh, you, need, you can make it this time. And so this is God's invitation to us. And what this song will be, it'll ask for a commitment. It'll be a, a song from our heart to God. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way.